Hello and welcome to the Maidcast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as part of the Maid's ongoing effort to preserve history through the teaching and displaying of playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures like the one you'll hear in a few minutes. I'm Chen. I'm Red. And I'm Miles. This week we'll be taking a break from Adventure Games to start a mini-series called Made in Progress, featuring interviews with emerging developers headed by the Maid's own Leland Heller. Today they're talking with narrative designer and friend Kara Hillstock about the games and experiences that influenced them. But first, let's dig into some news. Kingdom Hearts is always releasing news, and the biggest news now is they are bringing mods to Kingdom Hearts, as in they are releasing Kingdom Hearts and the entire franchise on... PC. You can buy it today on the Epic Store, but wait until the mods are done is my uh, little take are then. Uh, give, give the community a little bit of time to uh, create some gold. But in more important news, I think we need to talk about Nintendo's Direct. We did not get the big Breath of the Wild 2 announcement, but if you weren't expecting that, then you have nothing to lose on this one. Uh, <laughs> you can't complain. You're not allowed. No. Uh, uh, but the first one uh, is Mario Golf Super Rush. That's going to be a another gold mine in, in the golf department. Yeah, it is. Uh, hopefully they will have. Did they say they have an online connection with it as well? Uh, I actually don't know if they said anything about that. I think they say we'll speed golfing. Yeah. So, yeah. so what I saw from what I saw from the direct was that instead of doing a sort of laid back, like chill golf game, this is very much in the style of golf with your friends or golf it, where it's basically just sort of this zoo of everyone trying to play golf at the same time, and it just becomes this mad rush to get through before anyone else sabotages you. I think it's like golf, but Mario Kart, something like that. Yeah. I'm sure you have a pretty decent, yeah, you have a pretty decent number of ways to, to mess up your friends playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be really fun to see, uh, taking a couple cues from Mario Party and the, the screw over your friends, uh, <laughs> note yeah. that they have pretty much pioneered friendship destroyer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in a way like no other. When my friends and I had golf night, uh, it very quickly turned into this just absolute like slaughter fest of you know <laughs> friends uh, just doing everything they could to sabotage everyone else, and it was just the most fun. And so I'm really uh, glad that Nintendo seems to be sort of moving in that approach. Yes, the other big announcements are Splatoon three on Switch next year. Oh yeah, I didn't see it coming. I mean, I'm I'm really surprised, and they have a bow. And and if you yeah. if you play Splatoon two, you know there's a mode where you kill salmons and steal the eggs out of nowhere, and mm. it turns out that one of those little salmon has become one of your pets now. Oh, okay, so that's what that little guy is. I was like, hmm, I'm not, I'm not much of a Splatoon person uh, as far as like playing. I love the aesthetic and I love the the soundtrack as well. That's the amazing, stuff that but... coming to you like zombie. In, in that mode, I mean, and, and now they're yeah. your pets. I think it's it's a very, really interesting plot, plot twist. You wonder what happens between them. That'll absolutely be something to look forward to. The last bit of news, Skyward Sword HD. What do you guys think? Well, I do expect Zelda from the foreign Nintendo Direct, but it's not the exact Zelda I, I'm looking for <laughs> in the Direct, but I'll no, take but- that. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll take, take that. Yeah, yeah. I'll take some Zelda over no Zelda. Yeah. I was, I was, I was legitimately not expecting Skyward Sword to ever be touched again by by Nintendo. I think Skyward Sword getting an HD remake and being released on Switch kind of gives it another chance to actually show off that it's a mm-hmm. good game because I've tried to beat Skyward Sword twice. And mm-hmm. both times I've gotten too frustrated with the controls. Uh, you would try. <laughs> exactly. But I think it's uh, about time that we throw it on to uh, at least uh, someone more capable than I. And that is uh, Leland Heller, uh, our resident uh, Maidite, who is going to be talking with friend and narrative designer Kara Hillstock um, about the games that they enjoy. So let's throw it on over to them. And here they are, Leland and Kara. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Made in Progress, which is a mini-series through the Maidcast, where we talk to the next generation of game developers about the games that made them. And for our very, very first episode, uh, we have on Kara Hillstock, who is a narrative designer, writer, and streamer. Her latest game is a visual novel called To Be With You, and she's also a friend of mine. So welcome to the podcast. Yay, thank you for having me on. <laughs> Thank you so much. So uh, we just want to talk to you about your history with games. So let's let's start at the very beginning. What are some of the earliest games you remember playing as a kid? The earliest game that I remember actually impacting me is The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. I played that game like crazy when I was a kid. And in hindsight, I feel like it had a bunch of impacts on me as a narrative designer because there aren't really that many games that do what Majora's Mask did with narrative back it back in the day when I was a youth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's definitely narratively a really unique game. So was that sort of the thing that drew you to games as a kid? Was them having a unique narrative or really cool story? It was the unique narrative and the really cool stories. And in some games, you got to play as really awesome female characters who kicked a lot of butt. <laughs> Yeah, that is that is always uh, an appeal, especially back in the day when that was a little more rare to find in games. Yeah, exactly. It meant a lot to me as a kid because I got to identify very strongly with the game characters more strongly than I did with any of the way that any of the girls were presented on like cartoon TV <laughs> shows back in the day where they were all like I- either girly or like evil. <laughs> <laughs> Or both. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to identify with the girls who could use a nunchuck to, like, completely destroy a monster. That was awesome. (laughs) That is pretty awesome. Uh, And also to be able to, you know, control that girl, not just watch her, uh, be able to be the one who is using nunchucks on a monster. I definitely get the appeal. (laughs) As you were growing up, maybe less of a kid, more into a teen, even into an adult, how did your taste in games change? It changed because I I got more discerning with the kinds of stories that I wanted to play. Well, not only I got more discerning, but there was a wider variety of stories and games available to play. So Yeah, absolutely. I, I started trending towards games that were cozy, uh, which at the time was like a niche market that people didn't know there was a wide variety of people who wanted to be catered to with cozy <laughs> games. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was not in many of the early days of video games. That was not why people went to video games, especially when they were new. It was like, oh, here's this exciting action packed thing. 
uh, which is so different than what a lot of people seek in games today, I think. I still remember <laughs> when I would go to the store to try and get the games that I wanted, I would usually have to, like, I would go up to the counter and be like, here's Harvest Moon with these, like, cute little cows <laughs> on the front cover, and they would be like... <laughs> Of course, you would be buying this kind uh, of game. And they would just like completely neg me, and I would have to bring up obscure like game mechanic terms in order to make them leave me alone. <laughs> I know games. <laughs> yeah. I mean, had to be like turn based or active combat. Like, <laughs> well, and Harvest Moon has been around for a while, and we've gotten lots of different Harvest Moon games. <laughs> so I think that has been a series that existed back in the day and although we know it was originally targeted to boys still and Mm -hmm. uh i think harvest moon is a good example of one of those games that like people consider like oh that's like a girl game but even back in the day it was like the default was that boys were playing video games and and not girls the fans back in the day with harvest moon had to send letters to a marvelous who makes the games and had to try and convince them to put a female character in the game and to make female versions of the game so that people could play as girls. They just genuinely Mm. didn't believe that anybody out there was playing them when their audience was mostly women. (laughs) (laughs) It's wild how wrong the demographic was. (laughs) Uh, But I also played a lot of Nancy Drew games uh, growing up, and I know that you have played almost all of them now. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about what you like about the Nancy Drew games and maybe like that format of PC game. What is there not to like about the Nancy Drew games? Um, The Nancy Drew games are kind of like point and click adventure mystery series where basically you're playing through a Nancy Drew book and you get to go pick up items, solve puzzles. You have to talk to people and try to piece together who's lying and solve the mystery in the end. But they're also very tongue in cheek. Like they're very zany. They have like really terrible voice acting on purpose. At the ends of the game, sometimes you'll see outtakes where they use the like character models that they had to do fake outtakes like it was a bad movie. Just to give the the, the kind of mood of the Nancy Drew games. So I really, really, really love them. I love that in games you can show such a distinct kind of taste and such a distinct brand, but as consistently as the Nancy Drew series has done it, because I think they have 33 games now. I feel like those games are an interesting example of a game that seems like it would be targeted towards girls and it very much like was able to be for girls, but it doesn't feel like overly targeted towards a specific gender that you can have like a game that appeals to to girls and to women without having it be a Barbie princess game because Nancy's great. She's she's a very strong protagonist, even if she is not the smartest sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, all of the Barbie games were covered in, like, pinks and purples, and they were about dressing up. Uh, And and you had, like, other Barbie games. Like, you had the Detective Barbie games, which actually were fairly similar to the Nancy Drew games as things go. But it seems like the people who made the Nancy Drew games really just wanted to put the book, in essence, into a game. And in so doing, you don't, you know, you don't have to paint the whole cartridge pink in order to let people know that this is for girls (laughs) and no boys should touch it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So to pivot a little bit, do you remember 
kind of at what point did you know that you wanted to make games? So this is kind of funny because I knew that I always wanted to be a writer and it wasn't until I was like 20, already halfway through college, that a boy that I was dating at the time was like, (laughs) why don't you just write for games? You can do that, right? And I was like, can you? (laughs) It was the first time I had ever considered it. But after that idea had been planted into my head, I decided to go into freelance games writing to see if to see if it was even a thing that I could do. And the rest is history, I guess. So on that, what has been your experience kind of getting into the game industry? How has that been for you? It has been difficult and also like seemingly random. I've been able to like make somewhat of a reputation for myself in the games industry just by working enough jobs and eventually meeting enough people who liked what I did and then wanted to continue helping me. So whereas like most jobs, you would be able to actually, first of all, actually go get like a full-time paying job, which is not a thing that is easy to do in the games industry. And then it's and then it's also hard to find other established game devs who, who have like long, like years long careers. Usually when you go to meetups and stuff, you meet other game devs who are just starting out or have just gotten out of college and that kind of thing. But I think as much as most industries are who you know, I think that game dev is a lot more who you know right now because of the lack of like full-time paid opportunities that are available. Right, yeah. It's sort of a good thing and a bad thing that it has become much easier to make a game. You know, anybody can by themselves, totally 100% alone, like make a video game. And I feel like that's been great that that's become more accessible because you think about that back in the day, it was a very small number of people who understood how to like code and create games. And it was very hard to learn. And uh, there's only a few people who could, but now anybody can just on their laptop. And that's great. But also, I feel like there's that assumption that in order to get into the industry, like you have to have already made like three or four games by yourself. And that's not in entirely a false I- idea. That's out. You don't need to make a bunch of complete games by yourself, but you do need you do need a portfolio and you're generally going to have to work your way up from other from, from working for free or working s- similar like low paid projects to get a portfolio and then work into jobs that are going to pay you something. (laughs) (laughs) I I do agree that a lot of the technology has gotten more accessible to a lot more people than back in the beginning when we started. But I think that there's still a lack of accessibility when it comes to when it comes to like racial demographics and especially outside of the USA. We have a lot of international developers who are trying to break into the games industry and Basically, if you're not in like the United States, Canada, Japan, um, and maybe some specific places in Europe, you're going to have a really hard time getting yourself established, even with all of the wonderful tools that the Internet has has made available to people. Right. It's uh, not that hard to make a game. It's a lot harder to get it out there and uh, (laughs) have people notice it, I think. That yeah seems like it's more uh, of the issue. <laughs> and then so, even harder to break even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so on that note, let's talk about your latest game, To Be With You, which is a visual novel that you made almost entirely by yourself. Is that correct? 
yes, we had I, I had a composer work with me. But other than that. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about um, let's start with some of the influences for that game? To be honest, I can't say that I had many direct influences with that game aside from my life. So to be, to be with you is a semi autobiographical game. So I'm taking an experience that happened to me and I am anonymizing it and repackaging it to put it out there to hopefully with this game specifically to help teach people about unhealthy relationships and what they look like and how they can potentially avoid them in the future through an interactive story. (laughs) Yeah, that is, I mean, such a unique take on what video games can do and, you know, why we play video games, because it's very much not in that original sense of, oh, video games are exciting or like an escape or this sort of like, uh, I don't want to say that to be with you isn't a fun game, but uh. (laughs) (laughs) it's it's not really, though. (laughs) It's it's a it's definitely a painful experience to 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 play through. I I would say just having watched people like stream it and play through it on their own, it's not fun really. <laughs> it's it's a very um I remember I remember that after I made it somebody a reporter told me that it wasn't a fun game to play through, but it was extremely like gripping like it immediately drew them in and it didn't let them go until it was finished so it was like a very consuming experience but not one that he would describe as fun and I thought that that was pretty accurate and pretty pretty correct as for what I was going for too yeah I think there is space for that in the games world I mean if we look at other forms of media at books and tv and movies there are plenty of examples of us seeking out things that are not fun, but are gripping and emotional and useful in a way. I, I think that the whole like games are fun is like as reductive as the idea that games are gameplay and mm-hmm. that none of the other aspects that go into a game matter materially aside from the gameplay. We've seen enough games that are primarily narrative stories that you walk through to, that that have gotten really popular and successful to see that the gameplay isn't always the biggest draw for people in games. Can you talk about a few of the reasons why you do like that genre and you like kind of making games in that genre? The thing that I like the most about games is the interactive aspect of it. And for me, visual novels are really important because you get to interact with and manipulate the player's expectations as you're actively telling the story. So you're essentially, without having to interrupt the flow of the story, if you want to cause people to have a certain emotional reaction, you can design the game to give them that emotional reaction at that time without disrupting the flow. And by also giving them the ability to participate in the story and kind of help carve out their own personal experience with the story, which I think helps people empathize more deeply and get more involved in it. I honestly feel like visual novels and and games, narrative-based games as an extension, are this ripe opportunity for us to help like teach people and, and help people learn through experiences so that they won't 
they won't have to experience these things in real life. They can experience them in like a safe, simulated environment and then use the skills that they learned in real life to to at least in the case of to be with you to help protect themselves from falling into a really unhealthy relationship situation. So I feel like the whole like that that idea that visual novels are by default boring because you you can only read them is rather a reductive way of looking at the genre. Yeah, for sure. I think visual novels have that power and it's almost the inverse, but almost the same argument as like the, oh, video games make people violent. Uh, and <laughs> we know that they don't, but it's interesting to see if they can make other positive impacts through having people experience these things. I think anecdotally, a lot of us have had experiences with video games where some aspect of the story just hit us really hard and stayed with us. Um, and I think that by itself is enough to show the potential that that they have for for introducing us to new experiences and empathizing with with maybe kinds of people that we wouldn't ordinarily get to interact with in our daily lives. Yeah, 100 um, percent. And th- this this is going to be a pivot, but I guess I can connect it to interacting with people. But uh, I want you to talk a little bit about all the other things you do on the internet, which is many. You also write for normal like journalistic publications, and you also write for YouTube videos, and you have also edited YouTube videos, and you also stream on Twitch <laughs> constantly. You also do a million other things. Um, can you talk a little bit about how those things interact with you making games? So I've worked a number of uh, side hustles, as you've pointed out. I'm a streamer on Twitch where I, I like analyze narratives since that's my job and it helps people get interested in the kinds of games that I make. I also make narrative design videos on like my Patreon and have worked all over the video game industry with articles and YouTube videos and all that, as you're suggesting. As a narrative designer in particular, that all is very useful to understand how people are talking about games, how they are thinking about them, to be able to play a game with a chat actively and see people responding to the game in real time and to see some of the misunderstandings about why games end up um, maybe as as janky as as some of them do or, or why they're making certain decisions when everyone's like, it would have been so much better if they just programmed it like this. Why didn't they just do that? There, there's a lot of like insight that can be gotten into like the average person who plays a game that is very useful when designing games. You can almost test run or see how people are going to react to certain narrative elements when you see that in your in your Twitch chat, I'm sure. Yes, yes, very much. And if you if if anybody out there is a game developer and you've ever had a game that you've made streamed, it is incredibly useful to watch people play with the mechanics that you've built and to to see how they respond to the different the story elements and the different characters and to know whether you achieved your goal in creating the game. A lot of times that can be hard to see in real time how how people because you know people can exploit mechanics they can they can create right. little cheats and bugs and stuff like that and you need to really understand what's fun about your game and whether what you think is fun about your game is actually what people find fun about your game and that's something you can only really find out by watching them play have you played any of your own games on your stream um i have i have um 
I have like my own games that I personally put out under my uh, company Illus Seed. And then I have other games where I've been involved, but the games belong to other indie studios. And both of those games I have played on my, uh, both of those kinds of games I've played on my stream. Well, uh, some of the games that I'm uh, that I'm working for are under NDA right now, unfortunately. Um, but I can say that I have been working uh, with Waking Oni, the Waking Oni Studios, on a game called Unsen Master, which is a very family friendly game. It best described as Studio Ghibli meets Overcooked. Oh, fun! Um, so I, I got to do the narrative design for that game, and that game will be out uh, sometime in the next few months of this year. Um, and yeah, other than that, the only, the, the things that I can talk publicly about are, uh, my Patreon and, <laughs> and all of the writing and narrative design uh, information that I've been putting out over there. So that is, uh, until I'm able to talk about the other projects that are in the works, <laughs> that's what I get to talk about. Do you have any ideas or things you'd like to prioritize for your next game that you do on your own? Do you even want to do a game on your own again? I think I will end up doing uh, another game on my own. I've had a couple of ideas on the back burner, but um, nothing that feels very pressing to me to get out immediately. Whereas I'm kind of more focused on getting a book, <laughs> an actual book out there. So but more of that, more of that, like jack of all trades things. I just I just right. hop between <laughs> the creative mediums as I see fit. <laughs> right. And there's a lot of overlap between them. So I think you'll be able to bring a lot of the things that you've learned to a book and bring the things you learned from that book into a game and, you know, kind of keep hopping between things. <laughs> I agree. This is a can of worms we don't need to open right now. But I will say <laughs> that, like, my philosophy about book like book novels are that they're a lot more interactive than people tend to think about them so i'm very curious how my experience with interactive games is going to feed into novels and maybe make that make that experience a little bit different yeah that's that's really cool so we are about out of time but i want to give you an opportunity to um plug all the different ways that you are online. Um, I feel like I could do this for you, but I'm going to let you do it yourself. <laughs> um, well, uh, the primary ways that you can find me are uh, Twitch, Twitter, and Patreon. Uh, my online username is Cheratomo, C-H-E-R-A-T-O-M-O, -E and you can find me on all social media under that name. You can find To Be With You on itch.io. You can also go to illuscede.com, I-L-L-U-S, seed.com and you can find all of the games that I've ever worked on if you're interested in them and and links to where you can purchase or download them for free. That about does us for this very first episode of Made in Progress. Thank you so much Kara for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was very fun. Thank you Leland and Kara for that lovely talk. It's good to get a little bit of a different perspective and more direct on the up and comers of the industry today to see what's is what is going on right here in the area and right here in the industry that we hold so dearly. The biggest thing that I think we have now is have cyberpunk glitches. Wait. Of course you here? do. Well, I mean that that's that's one thing that Nintendo does uh very well. I, I there's never never been one instance that I've heard with a new Nintendo release 
like exclude like just new Nintendo release having any sort of mass amount of trouble. So I think Nintendo is going to be fine. I think they're going to fix Skyward Sword. Um, that even though it didn't need fixing, but didn't really anyway. need fixing. That, that's I think that's actually one of the reasons why they have a pretty. They have a relatively long producing cycle, as mm-hmm. if you, you see every single time they they gotta say we okay we have a new game. It's like if if it wasn't like five or six years, you never heard news about it. Thinking of the Metroid, Metroid, Metroid news and Bayonetta three and some other thing else. We have we do have no more Heroes three in this direct, yes. mm-hmm. but. Thinking of how how long we have been waiting. Yeah, I mean, like Metroid Prime Four, right? Yeah, Miles? yeah. I mean, uh, the one thing I'm disappointed about with the Metroid with the uh, Nintendo Direct was we did go, we did not get any news on Metroid Prime Four. It's been over a decade since Metroid Prime Three, and there have been Metroid games in between. Yes, but it's been, it's been almost a decade. But also, when did they tear it down and start anew? <laughs> uh, I think they announced that. I'd have to look at a number. But uh, they announced that they were scrapping production and starting from scratch a year or two ago, maybe. Ooh. And, you know, when you're starting from scratch, that's not really that big of a number yet. Like, you're still in sort of pre-production. Like, it's going to yeah, take them a while. They, well, I mean, they're probably yeah. working on concept art and design and stuff for a lot of those years. I mean, that's what they said about Cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we're in development for over 10 years, and then you've come to find out that it oh, it didn't start major production until five years ago. And I was like, oh, well, hopefully they didn't get too far before they had to scrap it, because yep. that'll be an exciting thing to see in the future. It's going to be very good to see where it goes. I have great hopes for the future of the Switch. Absolutely. But I think that is just about all the time we have for this week. But I want to thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast, everybody. And if you have any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, shoot us an email at info at We'd like to send a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our Patreon supporters who keep the made afloat. Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services, and we'll continue that with future episodes every week. Till then, I'm Miles. I'm Chen. And I'm Red. Thank you, and we will see you next time.